Just before we dive in, let me say this. Um, we miss you, and we want to be with you. I've talked with many of you on the phone and in different meetings from a distance, and just want to let you know that we're working hard on what it would look like for us as a community to start meeting together with responsibility and wisdom. And we're working on a few different options as we've been talking with St. Thomas, as we've talking with other options in case St. Thomas continues to not be available to us. And I just want to let you know that we're getting close to having some clarity and some answers as to what our timeline looks like as it relates to Sunday gatherings in person in some form or fashion. And so please keep an eye out for an email coming hopefully within the next week with some clarity around what's coming next. I just want you to know that we are working on it, that we are trying to be wise, faithful, and we're going to be communicating as quickly as we know something. We will pass it along to you. So thanks for being patient with us and staying on this journey with us. Well, what I'd like for us to consider at the outset this morning is this. It is impossible to live a robust and godly life alone. You can't do it. You cannot live a life that's in alignment with God's word, in alignment with the scriptures, and do it alone. You were made for community. You were made for other people. You can only fully image and experience and worship and glorify God in community. And incidentally, we are all very aware that we are all broken and sinful. So if you're made for community with other people and all people are broken, listen, you are made to deal with and interact with conflict. It is intended that we as a people navigating this broken world, that we would be a people that are really good at counteracting conflict, of dealing with it and allowing it to be fruitful in our lives. We must be a people, if we are going to cultivate warm homes, homes where as husband and wife and children or roommates, friends, if we're going to cultivate a home as far as the church that we are part of and the family that we are part of, if it is going to be marked by an otherworldly warmth, we must be a people that know how to counteract conflict, how to deal with it, to receive it, not to avoid it and sidestep it. Listen, brothers and sisters, what I want you to hear this morning as we go on this journey is that, that if you are encountering conflict in some of your relationships, it is not, it's not a sign that you've taken a wrong turn or that something has gone terribly wrong. It's just evidence that we're leaning into what it means to live a godly life, which means in community with other people, and we're all broken and we're trying to make sense of it. What I, what I hope we receive this morning with great joy and gratitude is this, that the Lord of our lives, the one who is leading the life of his church, Jesus Christ, is a brilliant teacher, and he has spoken about this issue. He's not left us to try to figure this out on our own by trial and error, but he has actually spoken directly to the issue of conflict and how we can be a people that interact with conflict and allow it to, to be transformative and fruitful in our midst. And so, this morning, as we continue to cultivate warmth in our homes, we're going to talk about how to counteract conflict, and we're going to sit at the feet of King Jesus as he wisely, as he brilliantly teaches us how to deal faithfully with conflict. 
please grab your Bibles with me and turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 15 through 20 as we learn from Jesus about how to deal faithfully with conflict. Permit me to remind you about what the prophet Isaiah says about the scriptures just before we read. It says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. We would be really wise to pay attention this morning to God's word. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, these are the words of Jesus. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Well, quite straightforwardly, Jesus is dealing with how to interact with the moment of conflict, of struggle. And we're going to see a few things emerge. The first The first thing that he's calling us to, if we're going to deal faithfully with conflict, is this. We must be a people that are active in the face of conflict. He's calling us to things, to particular things, to take steps and to to walk a process in the face of challenge. We're not to be a people that are passive, that avoid the struggles that are present in relational realities. And in fact, I just want us to feel this this truth that if we are active, active in the way that we're loving God and loving people, that very often challenge and conflict will never even get to verse 15. Because the scenario that we're about to enter into is the scenario where a brother has sinned against us and now we have to go tell him his fault. The truth is that if we're active in the way that we're tending to our relationships with one another, if we sin against someone, We will be the sort of people that are quick to go to them and confess and say, hey, I'm sorry for the way that I have done this. That in essence, if we're living in alignment with God's word and ways, many of our conflicts will never get to this point. But for our purposes this morning, what I want us to to wrestle with is the moments where they do and see what is it that Jesus has to say to us. He's going to call us to be active and this is going to take shape in, in four different stages. So our activity in the face of conflict is going to take, sta- take shape in four different stages. Stage one, we get in verse 15, and it's this. Honest, private, personal conversation. Honest, private, personal conversation is the first stage of being active in the face of conflict. Look back with me at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You see, what we're seeing in this text is there, there's a prerequisite to this interaction, that it's a brother who sins against you. All four of those words, really critical. A brother, someone that you're in meaningful relationship with. Sins. They're actually out of alignment with God's intentions for them, that they have done something that is wrong. 
This is not just an issue of preference. This is not just something where you are emotionally exposed or particularly sensitive about an issue, uh, that they have actually sinned and they've sinned against you. In that scenario, honest, personal, private conversation is the appropriate response. I'll just say this. Some of us are a little too confrontational. We don't avoid we are into having the tough conversation whenever we think it might be needed. And I just want to help you feel the weight of this prerequisite. Please make sure that if you're approaching someone in your home, a spouse or a roommate or someone within the community, a member of a, your house church, that you're doing so with an awareness, having paused and prayed and considered, is this person in sin? And have they sinned against me? Or am I maybe just particularly exposed, vulnerable, emotional, and I'm, I'm taking a slight or something that was not intended, that was not harmful, that was not sinful, and I'm turning it into conflict. Right off the bat, Jesus is saying, it's if someone sins against you. In that scenario, there is a response to be active and to go and address them. What is it that you share with someone when they've sinned against you? Did you hear it in the text? He says, go and tell him his fault. In essence, where there is sin in the system, he's saying, go and draw that out. This, this is important because I think the temptation is when we wind up, there, there might be a, a tension that you have in mind with someone. And you think, okay, I probably need to go have a conversation with them. The temptation can be all of the emotion, all of the struggle, all of the ways that that act has affected you, that by the time you're finally ready to address them directly, it feels a little bit like the dump truck is in reverse and it's going beep beep, beep, and you just want to unload every way that that act has affected you, all of the emotion, all of the struggle. What Jesus says is, no, go, go speak to them one-on-one and, and help them see the fault. Help them see the way that they have been out of alignment with God's word and ways. Be careful about the dump truck unloading when it comes time to this private, personal, honest conversation. What we're doing is out of love, trying to help a brother or a sister see something that currently they don't see about their heart and their response to the people around them. Well, that's, that's what we say. How do we do it? Jesus gives us a, a few insights as to how we have this honest, personal, private conversation. One, it's alone. You should keep the circle as small as possible on your conflict. If someone has mistreated you, no one should know about it at the front end. It should be something you're wrestling with God and that you're taking directly to that person. Jesus says this is a conversation between you and this person alone. It should be be that we desire to keep that circle really tight and to protect that person's reputation, not to talk about them with others, that we talk directly to them. You see, we're alone and it's a direct conversation. Let me just just challenge you on this front. I think there's a lot of us that think, well, I'm just venting. I just need to vent. And I just, I wanna challenge that notion. I don't think vent sessions are a biblical option for us. Venting is a fool's endeavor. It actually poisons your heart and it poisons anybody who hears it. It poisons the air that we breathe. I remember years ago, I was part of a community where someone's sin had great impact on the community. 
and um, and everywhere I went there was a conversation going on about it and I was tempted to participate and I did in the early stages participate but the Lord gave me a dream and I'm not always a dreams and vision guy but he spoke to me clearly while I slept one night I was walking around in this building and every time I stopped to speak with someone I would open my mouth and what would come out was a viper that was poisonous and it would drop to the ground and slither away out of my control and after this happened a few times, I grew more and more terrified. Covering my mouth. I was terrified to open my mouth with the recognition of what would come out. And then it, it occurred to me that I had an option. And so the next time I opened my mouth, another snake started to come out. And I grabbed it behind its head and I started to pull. And I pulled and I pulled and I pulled until its tail, which was forked and was coming out of my heart, I had to yank. And it was painful. And I pulled it out and I threw it to the ground and I crushed its head. And then I was able to freely speak. When I woke the next morning, it was as if the Holy Spirit through the community began to just impress deeply on me. Listen, your words have a life of their own. And when you speak about someone else, it all of a sudden has power and it slithers around down hallways and you don't know who it's going to strike and how its poison is going to find purchase in someone else's heart. And the Lord was drawing me into this place to say, stop talking about other people and saying, well, it's just a vent session. I'm just letting it, I'm letting off a little steam. What Jesus says is this, go directly to your brother or your sister and speak to them. Please, Seven Mile Road, let's be the sort of people that we don't talk about one another. We don't spread the hurt and the poison. We don't let our words slither down. Uh, into some unknown space. But with love, we name honestly what's going on. Not anger, love. We come to someone, we want resolution. I was talking to a husband recently who's been married for decades, and he said to me, you know, my wife and I, we've struggled with the direct naming of the challenge. And he said, we do a lot of sweeping under the rug. And he said, but Jeremiah, the, the rug has grown pretty lumpy. And isn't that true that if we don't do this alone, direct conversation, we're tempted to release poison on others or we think that in not naming it, it's going away. But the truth is the rug just gets lumpier and lumpier. We're dealing with unhealthy foundations. Let me just say one last note as to how we go about this. We do it directly and we do it alone. We also do it humbly. We do it humbly. In Matthew 7, Jesus' teaching on this topic as well says that the only way we can remove sawdust from someone else's eye is that we realize we have a plank in our own eye. You know, he's, he's being humorous, saying, look, you've got a log sticking out of your eye. If we will be the sort of people that pray about a confrontation, about the way that we've been sinned against, and we say, God, where did I contribute to the brokenness? And he will begin to expose for us. It's like it's growing like Pinocchio's nose as we pray that, oh, this is longer and more real. I am a contributor to the brokenness. That if we do that work, by the time we come to talk to our brother or our sister, what we realize is I'm broken and I've contributed to this. And I know that I have a plank in my eye in these ways. And so I just, I need your forgiveness even as I come to name this particular issue that has has been difficult for me.
You see, we are to be a people that have honest, private, personal conversation. That is the first and most important stage in being active in the face of conflict. If we are willing to take that step and to take that step regularly, 98% of the conflict in your life will be resolved pretty quickly. If we would just be willing to love one another like that. And what you will find is this, that relationships where you do that time and again, something beautiful happens. They become really safe and really warm. Because people know that they can take you at your word and that you will come directly to them and that you will protect their reputation. That becomes a safe and a healthy and a warm relationship. Well, Briefly, I just want to talk about the other stages of being active because the truth is 98% would be taking care of it if we would just do that. But sometimes that doesn't suffice and Jesus goes on in his teaching and he says there is a second stage in verse 16. He says, if your brother does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. The second stage is purposeful minimal broadening of the circle. Purposeful, minimal broadening of the circle. The prerequisites on this one is that you have already addressed your brother and that he has resisted what you have brought to him. In this scenario, what you need to do is find two godly, neutral people. Listen to me. If you're dealing with conflict in your house church or with your roommates or in your home, Please do not go find the chair and co-chair of your fan club and invite them into the conversation. (laughs) We're so tempted to go find the people that will cheer us on no matter what and that the three of us then go and gang up on this other party. This is not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying invite two neutral, godly, prayerful people into the system. And the truth is that you may start to feel awkward at this point if that's the case, that's the brilliance and the wisdom of Jesus. Because as you shine light on the system, you'll have to deal with, have you really been sinned against in the way that you previously thought? And as these two people enter, they will help you be prayerful and bring, shed light on it. Well, let me keep moving. Stage three, if this too is ineffective. Stage three is this, we alert the leadership of the church. Verse 17a, it says this, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If you're dealing with someone who is what the Proverbs would call a defensive fool, who refuses to listen to people talking about the ways that they have wounded them or hurt them, in that scenario, he says, you need to tell the church. And I just want you all to hear this. I think this is about 0.1% of conflict and struggle. But if you have walked stages one and two faithfully and you're at an impasse, please know that the elders of the life of Seven Mile Road take seriously the shepherding of the souls of the people in this body. And if you come to us, we will, we will enter into that system and, and try to help find reconciliation and healing. The church is intended to be a part of cultivating warmth in the home as we continue to deal with the sort of conflict that emerges. Well, Lastly, the fourth stage of being active, verses 17b and 18. It says, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This fourth stage is what we would call excommunication, a removal from the life of the church. I think statistically, this doesn't even show up, 
but it is something that, that can and does happen. And that in fact, if, if your elders are faithfully doing their job, there will come a day likely that it happens because we are sinful people and we deal with tough situations. And the reality is that there are times where the authority and the life of the church has to deal with unresolved conflict so that we can continue to produce warmth as a body. I'll just say this, the last note about treating them as a tax collector or a Gentile doesn't mean being rude and turning a cold shoulder. We know how Jesus has taught us to pursue tax collectors and and Gentiles. We're to love them and pursue them and win them over. But the idea is this, and this is a scary reality. I want us to feel the weight of this as we're thinking about conflict. Unresolved conflict that's met with a stubborn and a rebellious heart has heavenly implications. What he's saying is this person is, is displaying that they very likely are not born again. That if we get to stage four and there is a sense in which I refuse to take into inventory the way that I've hurt another, he's going, treat them like a non-Christian. Remove them from gospel partnership or from good standing in the life of the church. Tell them that they, they ought not come to the communion table until they go and make this right. That there is a certain sense in which there is strength in this moment of saying, at times, very rarely, this may be the response. Do you hear it in all four stages? What Jesus is saying is that conflict is a reality and therefore we need to be active. Let's not sit passively by and let it tear at the fabric of our relational realities as families and as a church family. We want to be active in the face of it. But before we close, there's there's two other things briefly that he says. That as we're active, we're also charged to be prayerful. In verses 19 and 20, it says this. It says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now this is like a coffee mug prayer verse that we're tempted to kind of put on any prayer meeting, especially a poorly attended prayer meeting, where we'll say, well, there's two or three of us, God's here. And that's true, don't mishear me. But isn't it interesting that the context for Jesus saying this is conflict. What he's saying is, I am particularly attuned to relational conflict. I lean in. I'm present there. And so as you're active, continue to call out to me and to call out to me with open-handedness and gratitude and saying, God, we know that you care about this and you'll meet us and you'll transform us if we don't turn a blind eye to it. But with a desire for warmth in our homes, we lean in and we're active. We're playing our part while calling out to you, knowing that you'll meet us in the midst of it. You see, we're to be a people that are active and that we're prayerful, believing and receiving the joy that God is present with us in the midst of the tension and the struggle. Well, lastly, we're not just to be active, we're not just to be prayerful, we're also to be gracious. Peter follows this up in the very next verse by saying, Lord, how often does my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He asks a very Peter question. Basically, he says, Jesus, how many times do I have to do this? And I just want you to hear Jesus' response. He basically says, until you can't count anymore. Not just seven times, but 77 times. 70 times seven. He's saying, until you can't count anymore. And then he goes on to tell Peter a story. A story about someone who has forgiven a great debt. 
And he says, out of that debt, you'll be able to forgive others. You see, when you extend forgiveness to someone, it's painful. It's costly. In our home, when our boys are fighting and one repents to another, we have, we have eliminated the option of looking back and saying, it's okay. Because what we want them to realize is it's not okay. It's not okay. That to be sinned against and mistreated, it breaks the fabric of God's intention for relationship. It's not okay. It's broken and it's wrong. And so when we look back at someone, we don't say it's okay. We say, I forgive you. And forgiveness, what Jesus is showing in the parable and in the teaching to Peter is this. Forgiveness is costly because someone has to absorb the pain and the brokenness of the situation. Brothers and sisters, what I want you to hear is this. That Jesus, when he went to the cross, what he was doing is he was looking at the weight of all of our brokenness, all of the ways that we have rebelliously and obstinately and stubbornly sinned against him. And he looked at it and he didn't shrug and say, it's okay. He said, that's costly and it's broken and someone has to pay the price and I'll do it so that I can say, I forgive you. And as we realize that as Jesus bled and died, he did so on our behalf. And as we come to him with broken hearts and say, I need you to forgive the eternal weight of the the punishment that I deserve. And as he says, I forgive you. As that begins to wash our hearts, we become the people that can continue to be active when sinned against and prayerful and gracious, saying we like the forgiveness that we have been given. We will extend it. We will extend it until we've lost count on how many times we've extended it. If we are those sorts of Jesus-saturated, gracious people that are active and prayerful in the face of conflict, let me tell you what will happen. We will be the sort of community with homes and with a, a faith family that is warmed by the very presence of God. We don't allow conflict to divide us and to inject coldness, but we meet it head on, active, prayerful, and gracious with the very presence of Jesus, and we experience his warmth together. Let's be a community that counteracts conflict, that meets it head on to God's glory and to our joy. Would you pray with me? So God, I know that I and so many of us have the temptation to sweep things under the rug, to avoid and to sidestep the realities and the heartaches of tension and conflict. But you have called us to live meaningfully in community. It's part of being human. It's it's we cannot fulfill your call in our life without it. And so I pray that we would step boldly into deep relationship with those in our homes, with those in our house churches, and that we would not shy away from the points of tension, but that we would meet your very presence in it. Help us to be a community marked by relational warmth because we experience your presence and power in the midst of our conflict and our struggle. We love you. We thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.